This week on The Business of Lifting Weights, we sit down with CrossFit Games competitor and co-owner of CrossFit, Yakarhu, Jessica Estrada, to discuss the transition from athlete to gym owner and how they've exploded onto the gym scene in Austin, Texas. How's it going, guys? This is Dave Thomas. And this is Brian Pritz. And we are back with episode 25 of The Business of Lifting Weights. Today, we're extremely lucky. We are joined by Jessica Estrada from CrossFit Yakarhu. You got it, yep. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so we have her on the line. She's from Austin, Texas. We're very excited to have her today. Um, their gym is somebody that obviously most of you guys probably know of and probably follow. And today, we're going to take a good look at go a little bit behind the scenes and what they do, what Jessica does, and um, basically everything that they've done to be successful down there. So Jessica, why don't you say hello to everybody? Hi. <laughs> um, first question, just tell tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? How'd you get into fitness? And kind of what led you to where you're at today? Cool. Yeah, so um, from San Angelo, Texas, uh, kind of a little small town out uh, towards west uh, – West uh, Texas, obviously. Um, so from there, um, I grew up, so sports, gymnastics was kind of something I always did. I did gymnastics, dance, um, and then, uh, you know, dabbled in, in other sports, uh, soccer, basketball, uh, volleyball, uh, ran a little bit of track. Um, and then eventually in high school, went back and did gymnastics until I graduated um, and then after graduating, um, I picked up triathlons. Um, my roommates in college were doing it. I had zero experience in swimming, running, or biking. As a gymnast, um, obviously, we didn't do any of those. So endurance was not my thing, but uh, they asked me to start training with them, and I was like, sure, why not? So I started doing that, and that was kind of – that was my, uh, I guess, my sport or my activity uh, through – through college, and then a couple years after until I found CrossFit. Um, but I guess love of fitness had always been there. I've always, I, there was never a time in my life where I wasn't active. Um, I was, I coached gymnastics in high school, um, coached gymnastics uh, through college, and was also a personal trainer. And then after that, I had no intentions of going the fitness route. Um, I got a degree in public relations. Uh, was you know was told to go do sales because that's where you can make money. <laughs> Fun. Um, absolutely, absolutely hated it. <laughs> uh, and then went back to personal training uh, at a gym, and then started doing in-home personal training um, and working for myself doing that. And then found CrossFit and started coaching CrossFit, and now I'm here. That is awesome. So you just basically casually jumped into triathlons without ever having done any of the three disciplines. It, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the, most, the most, I mean, uh, I did obviously a little bit of running in junior high. Like, like that's why I quit. I quit soccer because I hated running. <laughs> and um, in gymnastics, we, you know, I think we ran a mile once, and we after the, we all died. Just <laughs> do that again. Um, and so, yeah, biking had never biked other than you know casually riding to your friend's house or whatever, and then swimming. Honestly, had never I could swim to survive, but had never been taught <laughs> technique. So, uh, yeah, I was completely thrown thrown into it. Um, but I competed pretty heavily um, 
I went to the duathlon world championships in 2006, uh, for the age group category. Um, so that was kind of cool. I got to go to Denmark and race and compete. Nice. Um, and then after that, I was like, wow, I really hate this. I need to find something else. <laughs> so when did you pick up CrossFit and when did you get into that? Cause you, you, you achieved a very high level of that. Was that something that happened quickly? Um, I, I really, honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with one, having a gymnastics background, I think helped. Um, yeah. and then honestly having a little bit of an endurance background, um, also came into play. So I had two friends, Melissa and Amanda, who kept trying to get me to join CrossFit. And they would bring me to community workouts, and I would go, and it was fine, and could do stuff, and it was cool, whatever. I was really not that interested. So then they asked me to do Fight Gone Bad as a fundraiser. And they're like, it's for a good cause. Like, you can you can do beginner. It's fine. Um, I've never rode, never done wall ball. Uh, and honestly, this – so. One of the girls is the same one who also got me into triathlon. So, uh, yeah, that's quite a friend. She's yeah, I know. She was like, "Oh, it's okay. You don't know how to do any of those things. You'll be fine." <laughs> and so, completely being thrown into like you know sumo deadlift, high pull, and had to do it with a kettlebell. Had no clue what I was doing, but they're like, "You're in shape. You'll be fine." So, did fight on bad. I was like, "Yeah, I'm, no, I'm not doing CrossFit." <laughs> so, uh, the gym. Uh, they were at had a kettlebell program, so I joined and did kettlebells. Uh, so it was like a thirty minute class. Nice. I would go in and do that for about nine months until finally I was like, okay, I'll give I'll give this a shot. So I guess I started officially started CrossFit in two thousand and ten, and then um, after that, uh, I think regionals or my first open was at no not open they had sectionals that year, so I did open. Uh, 2010 was my first year to, to compete in CrossFit, or sorry, 2011. That's awesome. And then you made the CrossFit Games twice? Uh, 2012 and then 2015 on a team, yeah. Awesome. Very nice. So you obviously you know, achieved a high level for yourself athletically and competitively. At what point did that transition go from athlete to business owner? Uh, was that a hard transition to be able to manage both of those separately? How did that occur? Well, um, so the the first year that I went to the games, I was uh, just a just a coach. Um, in 2015, we'd actually just opened the gym, so we weren't even a year we weren't even a year year in yet. Um, and I guess I would still say I haven't quite made the full transition. So I'm still an athlete. I'm still competing, um, trying to make another run at it this year uh, to hopefully qualify for the games, or at least that's that's our end goal. Um, so I feel like I'm still kind of in that athlete, uh, owner whirlwind. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of people can relate to that listening for sure. Yeah. So, um, I would say it's definitely in that. I definitely know that first and foremost, like the priority is the gym. And so my role as an owner is priority over my role as an athlete. And so if for any reason, uh, the gym is um it, was, it, it comes first yeah comes first but um i think the reason why i've been allowed to do both is that we have a really great team that allows so like one of the rules that we have for ourselves is that during training hours um no business talk so um i'm lucky enough that as an owner i i get to train for you know 
two to three to four hours uh, uninterrupted um, without having to deal with um, any of the business or the back inside of that. So I think right. that's great. Um, so yeah, we have, I think that's the biggest, the biggest success for me as being able to do both is having, um, I call them my work, my work husbands, I have two, <laughs> Michael Winchester and uh, Jonathan Haynes that both uh, kind of keep me in check and keep me in line. And, and one is, one might, you know, he, uh, the other owner, uh, also my coach, but then the other um, does runs all of our media and our marketing. And so um, I think, honestly, without those two, I wouldn't be able to, to do, to train and to try to go to the games at this level um, and be able to run a gym. So I think the biggest part is sometimes going into business. Um, I can't imagine doing this on my own. Yep. Um, but having a good team, and even even without those two, we still have uh, a good you know a set of coaches that can take on who have who can take on some of that responsibility. So. Um, it's definitely been very helpful. When when you guys started, was it three owners to start, or you know, did somebody start it and then slowly build upon that? Um, no. So Michael, Michael and I were the we kind of started the conversation of like, let's start a gym. And uh, so it originally started me, Michael, and then uh, Ingrid Cantola. And then. Uh, when we were looking at how we wanted to grow and build and set up the gym. Um, so Michael had his program, um, which is uh, a competition program. And I had my program, uh, which was like a, an advanced program. So we each had our own programs that we wanted to continue in this new gym. Yep. And so we needed, uh, we needed somebody to come in and run uh, the, you know, basic co-ed, uh, just general CrossFit side of of classes and when we decided to bring on Karen and Ben we wanted to give them some ownership into into the business um when we did that and so that's how and then Ingrid was brought on to run all of the operation side so she wasn't even a coach so when you um, say I'm sorry when you say brought on do you mean as an employee or as a, a part owner part owner okay so then how, how many of their how many are there of you that, that actually have ownership in the gym? Uh, there's five of us now. Okay. So Ingrid has decided she's moving on, moved on, um, kind of pursue other other things that she was interested interested in. So we completely 100% supported her, and she's going off and, and doing that. So then how would you say that you guys kind of operate on a, on a, on a macro level? Um, to other people that might be listening that have, you know, more than just one person or two people, how do you guys manage your different responsibilities to the point where you're kind of not stepping on each other's toes, but everybody is kind of responsible for their own end of the bargain, if you will? Yeah. So, um, we, we each kind of have like our own little segment. So Michael runs his program and has hundred percent control over his competition program. So our gym runs three different levels. We have fitness, we have sport, and we have competition. And so I run the sport program, and then Ben and Karen uh, run the fitness program. And um, even within that, we have, you know, our own responsibilities as far as like for me, um, coaches development, development, managing the coaches, 
Um, Michael is kind of like our sphere, like our leader and kind of oversees everything and making sure that uh, the ship is running smoothly. Um, that's very interesting. I don't think we've talked to anybody yet who has that kind of a breakdown with yeah. with yeah. that many people involved in it. That's definitely. Um, that's definitely an interesting dynamic, but it sounds like it's going pretty well for you guys so far. Uh, it works. It has its ups and downs, and uh, as anything, you know. Um, but the biggest the biggest thing for all of us is just that we are uh, communicating um, mm-hmm. all the time and input into the business. But that's that's the biggest thing is just that we're all communicating. We're all on the same page. And um, everybody's doing their part of the business. Great. So it's almost like you kind of put everything in a silo and everybody everybody handles their end of it and you guys come together when you need to almost. Absolutely. Awesome. And, uh, you know, you mentioned three different programs. Obviously, those three different programs are going on throughout the day. Do you guys have – how big is your facility? Uh, it's at 1,100 square feet. Okay. So gotcha. It's pretty large. 1,100 or 11,000? I'm sorry, sorry, 11,000. Okay. Yeah, that's a yeah, monster. That, that is pretty big. <laughs> so we usually, with 11,000, we run um, anywhere from three to four classes at once. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've seen videos and whatnot of, of you guys doing that. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a question about that. You know, you have a big space. One of the things that we have kind of heard as a challenge, people with big space, is to maintain almost that level of, of intimacy. Um, so what would you say the DNA is of your gym? Is that something that you, that you're focused on? Um, yeah, I would definitely not feel. So when you say intimacy, you mean like filling the space or just like that kind of that people belong to, um, you know, a a local gym, if you will, like like kind of that small local gym, like that personal touch. Yeah. Kind of thing, right? Yeah. Do you find that that's uh, something that's hard to maintain, or is that a you know a part of your culture to where it's not an issue? Uh, I would definitely say that is not an issue at all. So um, I think within the overall arching gym, uh, we have that community, but then we also have a breakdown of each program kind of has their own community. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we kind of built in, uh, so each of our programs between fitness, sport, and competition, we have. Uh, each group has their own Facebook page. Okay. And, or not Facebook page, but Facebook group. Group, right. So there's a lot of like communication within even uh, the morning people that never see the evening evening group mm-hmm. uh, can communicate and have developed a friendship. Uh, we do a lot of uh, community events inside and outside the gym. Um, I would say a lot of our people are actually friends outside of the gym, so we have a lot of a lot of bonding within, within not just within the groups, but within classes and programs as well. Mm-hmm. So that has never been an issue for us as far as uh, that, I guess, level of intimacy. I would say it's very, it's a very tight knit, really good uh, community. So one of the terms that we use um, is called perhe, and it means family in. Uh, finish mm-hmm. that's so can you explain a little bit i'm always curious about the the background of jim's starting i did a little bit of research on that word and the search that turned up was this badass ice breaking boat that was <laughs> yeah. part that was from finland is that am mm-hmm. i am i on the mark here <laughs> yeah so um actually no we found out about that ship after the fact so 
um, when Michael and I were trying to find, come up with names, um, we wanted something different. Um, Ingrid uh, had some finish in her. We knew we wanted a name that was um, kind of unusual, and we wanted it to be an animal. And so when we came across Yakarhu um, and the polar bear, we're like, man, a polar bear in Texas, like nobody's going to, Nobody's going to get this, but one of the things that the polar bear symbolizes is transformation, and that's pretty much what we do uh, in CrossFit is transform lives, not just physically, um, but I feel like mentally, so it just kind of came to be uh, a really good fit for us, and I so love that. that's how we chose the name Yakarhu, and then, uh, yeah, later stumbled on the icebreaker, which also is it's kind of kind of a neat concept as well and so that's where Perhe is Finnish um, and it means family and that's uh, a common term that's used in the gym because the gym for us it's not just a gym but it's, it's a community but they're also a family we're a family um, from everybody inside and then their families outside so that's really cool and I, I, you know, I think it's very interesting for me personally. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit more about why you wanted it to be different? Because you know, when you, when you search, when you guys come up and search results, or if someone's even trying to explain it, it would obviously like we had to ask you how to pronounce it. That's obviously a very, you know, a thought out thing that you guys did. Um, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that and why you wanted that to be a point of differentiation for you guys? Yeah, I mean, nobody's gonna, one, nobody's gonna forget that name. Absolutely. Um, and so I think the hardest part, and it was kind of fun because in the beginning, with, it was kind of a game that we did where we would just try to get how many, like, we just asked people to, we'd read it, how do you pronounce it, and just <laughs> get all kinds of different, Jack, you know, Jack, Jackaroo, Jakarhu, those are like the common theme, but. Honestly, really, it wasn't even about what kind of name would stand out. Um, you know, as I would say, as you know, this is not going to be, this is very basic. This is like basic shit. Here, Michael and I just wanted, it was trying to find a name that hadn't been used already. Yeah. yeah. So, like, honestly, we stumbled. It's hard. It's hard now. By accident. And then when it came, we just kind of were like, it was that one where you, we saw it, and we're like, this is That's either it. going to be really good or really bad. <laughs> we're just going to go with it. And so far, um, I would say it's been – it's been really good. I think that's really cool. And I love what you just said about this is either going to be really good or really bad. I think too many people hedge and they want to pick the vanilla option when it's just go all in on this. If you have quality to back it up, then it's going to end up being something that really plays into your favor. Yeah. Definitely. So you, you mentioned how that, that word kind of means family. And I think it's very interesting that you guys do almost three separate gyms. It sounds like within one roof. Mm-hmm. Now that's, that would be a very big challenge unless you had something that kind of unified everybody and brought everybody kind of around a central central theme in the gym, which sounds like it's that family and it sounds like that's the whole foundation, the DNA and part of the gym. Do you Are there ever any times where it's challenging to kind of communicate your message outward for those different groups of people? Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is when somebody comes in to try your gym – is it very clear why they are there? 
Um, are they there for one of the three programs or are they just kind of walking in, not really sure what they're doing? So, yeah, I would say most people that come in uh, have have done their, their research. So our gym is not, uh, we don't get a lot of foot traffic. So we're in an industrial area um, and it's actually pretty hard to find our gym uh, if you haven't been there or, you know, we get a lot of people, we even had to put on our website, like, uh, a time-lapse video of like how to get to our gym. Yeah. Yep. We're familiar with that process. <laughs> so, um, we don't get a lot of food, but most people, um, find us via internet or social media or somehow. So they're looking, they already kind of have an idea of what our gym's about because they've done the research and we are fortunate enough as a gym to have access to, um, a guy named Jonathan Haynes, and he does all of our media and our marketing. And the guy is just, he's, I mean, I, hands down, probably um, one of the best of the best. He runs the CrossFit Games social media. So anything that pops up from the CrossFit Games, um, you see that. And so he's always, his, his goal has always been to create, create a story around um, the gym. So everything is a story. So he calls himself the storyteller. And I think people pick that up when they go to our website or they get it um, from our social media, our Instagram, our Facebook, um, and they see the content that's put out. And I think you're immediately drawn into to what the gym is like. And so I think when they come in, they kind of already have an idea of what to expect. And I know, like, kind of going back to the DNA, like you walk in the gym, um, the gym morning, evening is high energy. Like you would never guess that like 5.30 is packed at is our it? gym. A.M. Um, or P.M.? A.M. 5.30 yeah. A.M. Yeah. Um, but five, but both uh, P.M. and A.M. for us are really big. So it's high energy. So when you walk in, it can definitely be very intimidating. Um, so I think for people, the, the goal is, you know, you see somebody walk in um, who looks like maybe they, you know, they're not – they're not a member, um, kind of a confused puzzle. They're walking in this giant warehouse yep. <laughs> um, with the, you know loud music, people yelling, screaming, dropping um, barbells, and dropping weights. And um, the the first thing is just for one of the coaches, somebody to approach them and kind of diffuse that, like, okay, overwhelming, focus, and then talk about it because it can definitely. Regardless of your gym is 11,000 square feet or 5,000 square feet, you walk into a CrossFit gym and it's really fucking intimidating. Yep. Um, and so I think the, the first person that they should be uh, a coach or some type of uh, admin person to, to step in and kind of like be that barrier and to come in and just like, what can I do? How can I help you? give them a rundown and just kind of shake them from that, that. And I think that's that first touch of when you walk in the gym. And honestly, I will say sometimes that first touch at our gym is a member. And so we have some really, really amazing members that will walk in, see somebody that's a stranger, shake their hand, welcome them. And then they will like lead them to, you know, if the coach is on the floor, we're all busy and we just don't happen to catch that or see that they will lead them and say, Hey, this is so-and-so they're, you know, they're new. They want to talk to you about the gym. And I think that's, um, that is, that's part of, again, going back to that DNA, that is something that we have cultivated 
uh, within our gym. Um, our members are super welcoming and somebody is going to shake your hand, high five, welcome you, bring you in. Uh, and I think that's just a reflection of um, not just the coaches, but just that's, that is our goal. Like it's, it's about community and again, pairing. So whether this is your first time, whether you've been a member for two or three years, or this is your first time in the gym, like your family, you're here, you're working out in our gym, uh, your family. And, and just to kind of tie it back in, um, most people will do their research before going to find a gym, a CrossFit gym. And so the first, the first thing that they're going to see is your website. And then they're going to go to your social media. And that all has to be um, on point. So, like, that is their first interaction with your gym. So that's the first thing that they're going to see when you have drop-ins. You, you get drop-ins because they follow you on Instagram or they checked out your website. So many times I tell people, like, y'all's website was on point and that's why I came to the gym. Yeah. And, and I think, too, that's just part of it. Um, and I know y'all did a, a podcast not too long ago about just kind of covering all of that with social media and just how important that is. Um, and like I said, it's really like bringing people in, creating a story around whether it's one person or the entire gym. But I think if you were to go back and look at um, look at our, our Instagram page. It's awesome. Um, or in our stories, like – you immediately get the kind of vibe or energy that is is in the gym. Hundred percent. Yeah, it, you know, you mentioned somebody coming in and being intimidated. What you know, what is your your guys' official trial process? What's that like for a new person? So um, usually, with the when we have somebody coming out and trying a gym, we obviously um, will direct them to the appropriate um, program. So usually, it's going to be either fitness or sport. So fitness, it's, you know, all of our first time athletes, um, will go through fitness. Uh, we do, we, we get quite a bit of, of athletes that will come in that have been doing CrossFit for a couple of years. They just moved to town or they're looking for a new gym. And so usually they're directed to the sport program. Um, and then anybody that wants to join the competition program, that process, um, has to go through Michael. Um, so you'll do like a consultation with Michael, kind of see if, you know, your goals and the goals of the program align because it is a little bit more high demand uh, right. program as far as like time uh, and energy. And so, he, you know, and it's also a smaller program. Um, and then as far as like, so we just, we direct them, they go through <laughs> uh, their free trial. Um, we also are starting to do consultations. So anybody that has, that's interested in joining the gym uh, can sign up for a consultation. They can meet with the coach um, and figure out what's the best direction um, from there. How has that gone so far, if you don't mind me asking, the consultations? Uh, actually, it has, we, we just launched it as of this week. So okay. To be determined? To be determined, <laughs> yeah. One thing I think is so cool, and now we've had a, a few gym owners on um, – Every single one of them, Nicole Zapoli, Christmas Abbott, even Clifton talking about Fitwall, every single one, and now including you, have all mentioned a very similar process to when that person walks in the door. And it all boils down to greeting that person and just immediately eliminating or at least mitigating that intimidation factor that they have. Okay. I think, and this is my, my personal opinion, I, I always like to ask people, 
I think most gyms kind of make the assumption that because somebody is trying your gym that they're already all in on it. Whereas most people, they're getting into this for the first time and they really need to kind of be shown some empathy for the workout that they're about to do and kind of the environment that they're going to be in. So I'm curious from your perspective, you guys, you're obviously a very noticeable athlete. Um, what is that like for you guys in just breaking down that intimidation factor and how do you go about doing that? Um, I think the first and foremost, um, by making somebody feel comfortable by, so we have everything from our class, there's focus and tension on everything. So the warm up is, is kind of your time to get a feel for one, a new person that's coming in. Um, but the vibe of the class in general. So you have people, they come in, um, they're either just getting up for the day, they're on their lunch break, or they're just getting off of work. And so that's your time. So if you have a new person, um, it's it's about starting that conversation. So it's like, you know, where are you from? What are your goals? Like, what brought you here? But then also including uh, everybody else to kind of chime in. So like, you know, there was a big football game on the other day. Let's all talk about that. But it's just breaking, kind of almost breaking the ice. Mm-hmm. Because they have to they have to feel comfortable with you. They also have to feel comfortable with the people that have, you know, that they're feeling intimidated by because these people all apparently know what they're doing. They all have uh, a really close relationship. They, they have a bond. They've been doing this. And you're an outsider coming in um, for the first time. And so... Um, the biggest thing is just being able to use your warm-ups to break the ice, to make them feel comfortable, to get them to talk a little bit. Because once they start to feel comfortable, they're going to open up to you and they're going to trust you. And that's the most important part is getting someone to trust you. And that's not that's not easy. Mm-hmm. And so that first session, like that's your, that's your initial um, interaction with them and that's you have to build trust from that moment on. And then from there, it's just the whole, you said empathy. It's like, hey, this is the workout, but this is what I want you to do. And just really explaining and letting them know why, you know, why why you're scaling for them or why they're not going to get to do the whole workout. And I think that, you know, the biggest thing is most people aren't going to come in with an ego. Like now they're having to scale and they might be the only person scaling, but I think as long as they understand the why behind it, like we're trying to keep you safe. I want you to come back tomorrow. I want you to be able to walk and, and sit tomorrow. Like I'm, this is, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure you're capable of doing this workout. Um, but I want to make sure that you're safe and healthy, um, for the rest of the week so that you can come back and enjoy another workout. Um, and I think once people understand the why, then they're more likely to be like, okay, cool, this is fine. Um, but I think initially it's just breaking the ice with them, making them feel, making them feel like they're part of the group. I think you guys have read similar <laughs> books that we have. Um, I like we we both kind of like glance at each other. Like I just love that answer of the why. I think so much of just human buy-in when it comes to coach athlete relationship is entirely based on the why and nobody's really going to care about the how until they know why they're doing it. And I also think that most people want that workout scaled when they come in 
because it's a sign that I'm allowed to kind of I'm allowed to kind of suck at this as I start. And I think that's just so big for getting the average person, which is what um, CrossFit strength and conditioning mom and pop gyms need to be successful. Absolutely. And I think even it's not even just new people like that's that's kind of a, a theme um, across, you know, our three programs and the gym and just something that's really big for me um, is that so we run cycles, all of our programs run on, you know, four, six, eight week cycles. But having being able to explain um, what the intention of not just the cycle but when you come into the workout, knowing exactly what the intention of the workout is, mm-hmm. this is what is intended. This is why we are doing it. This is the goal of, you know, what I want for the next, uh, eight weeks or four weeks or whatever that may be. But even just, even the most experienced people who've been in, in the sport and the program, um, they need to know why. And I think that's just, just part of, you know, it, we have the saying to Jim, you got to trust the process. Right. And in order to trust the process, they have to know that there is actual intention within the process. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like, oh, today we're going to do this random workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, there, there's, there's a process, there's a goal, and um, yeah. So our programming is in four-week cycles right now. Do you ever find that it's a challenge for people that will say – oh, we're not doing deadlifts this cycle. Like, I really want to do them. That sucks. And do you ever find that programming from that um, perspective is a challenge? Or is that successful because you guys focus on that why so much? No, I mean, everybody, I will say, like, you know, everybody wants to squat or deadlift. Like, those are the, you know, that's what people want to do. They want to squat. I'm glad we're not alone with that. (laughs) But I think, you know, there's not a whole lot, and again, I think it's because we've already outlined this theme of like trust the process that they just trust. They they don't really question. They always ask. They're like, you know, what's our next cycle? What are we gonna do? Are we squatting? When are we gonna squat? Or you know, if we hadn't done a deadlift cycle, when are we gonna deadlift? And then when it comes mm-hmm. up, everybody's <laughs> excited, um, and there's a lot of energy uh, on the days that you know we're maxing out, which is what I love. But yeah, honestly, it's. If you, it's, yeah, it's never, it's never been an issue, um, today, but yeah, I mean, obviously you get people who, who want to, who just want to do it, but they just know that we're not doing it this cycle and, and they're cool and that's, it is what it is. Yeah. uh, Real quick, actually going back to what we were just talking about with, you know, getting people to trust you know, your gym or your programming or whatever, you know, you're a good example. You had a friend that tried to get you into CrossFit um, and it took you at least nine months. You said nine months you did a kettlebell program um, before you actually joined the CrossFit gym or section. What was it that finally got you to be like, okay, I'm going to jump into this? Um, Honestly, it was watching people doing muscle-ups. Yeah? Like, I wouldn't... Oh, that's cool. Like, I'm I want to do that. I, you know, I, I was able, you know, I could do pull-ups. I picked up kipping really quick, uh, really quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's honestly what it was. Like, it was just the appeal of that. Because, I mean, I used to watch them dropping barbells, and I was like, this is so stupid. Why are they dropping barbells? <laughs> Can't you just set them down? Like, that's annoying. Uh, until you get in there, and you're like, oh, man, it feels really good to just drop it. Um, Spiking it down on the ground. I, just, I wanted to... 
I, I, I mean, and that was the other thing too. I, the kettlebell class was going, um, going on at the same time as a CrossFit class. So every time I was in class, there was a CrossFit. So it was, took me nine months of just watching and I yep. watched and I would pay attention and yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much what it came down to is I was just like, man, okay, I think, I think I can do that. Or I think I want to do that. Man, I think that's so cool. And Pritz, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up again because this is somebody who's been in the CrossFit games two times. Yep. And she talks about how it took her nine months to really get on board with it. So when you think about the average person who doesn't have that hyper athletic background of Jessica who comes into the gym, who's maybe picking this up for the first time, it just shows you how much empathy and how much of the customer viewpoint you need to try to force yourself to have in order to continue to add those people to your gym. Absolutely. And one of the things, like, I always tell everybody, like, somebody new, you have to give it at least three months. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to give it a try for three months because the first three months of CrossFit, like, it sucks. It's not easy. You're sore. You're doing things that you've never done before. Um, And it's just, it's, it takes, it takes that much time to kind of find your groove. Yeah. And then from even from there, it still might be another six months before you're, you're really bought into that process. Um, but I think that's kind of the initial conversation. With anybody. I'm like, I promise you, if you give it three months, you'll know whether you love it or whether you hate it. Mm-hmm. And it's not for everybody. And that's okay. Like, right. And I think that's something that also has to be, and also people's goals. So, being able to meet people one where they are, but two, like your people, everybody's goals doesn't have to be the same. So mm-hmm. um, we have people in our program who, you know, have no desire to compete. They don't want to go to the CrossFit games. So they're like, why do I need to get a muscle up? And I'm like, you don't. <laughs> and they're like, I, you know, I'll do the open and I don't mind scaling, but you know, I don't want to get a muscle up. Is that okay? And I'm like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, why you don't it's not you know no you don't have to have a muscle up you don't have to that's not the end goal and you're you'd be surprised at how many people think that uh think that they have to do that and i think it's more about people join crossfit first and foremost i think for the community and that community aspect And if you are, if I have somebody that comes in and they're like, man, I feel like shit today. Um, I just want to be here because you guys are fun and my friends are here, but, um, I don't think I'm going to go RX and being able to be like, absolutely. That Mm -hmm. is fine. I just want you to get a workout, have fun, and then get some high fives and go home, you know? Um, and I think that for a while, you know, I can't speak for other gyms, or other coaches, but I think that that is a perception that people have when they join CrossFit is that it's, you know, you got to lift heavy and you've got to do all these things. And it's like, like, you know, what they see on, on TV, on ESPN. And that's, that's not CrossFit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's the sport of CrossFit, but what really is going on inside the gym, um, is, you know, a hundred different people with a hundred different skill level, working out together. And that's the great thing is, you know, you, you can be, and I think that's what I've always loved about CrossFit is you can, you can train in a class with a CrossFit games athlete and 
you know, this will be, it could be your second class. So you could have, you know, a 60-year-old woman next to a CrossFit Games athlete doing the exact same workout. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that you guys do that. Intensity, having fun. And now our our programs are broken up into levels so that doesn't, that doesn't happen often. But even within the class, even within our fitness, even within sport, even within competition, you have different different levels of athletes and where people are. And everybody has the same goal. And that is they're there to get fit, to live a better life, and then most importantly, just to have fun. Like people are there to have fun. And if if we're putting all of this pressure on people to have to do things that they're not comfortable doing, then it becomes un unfun. I don't even know if that's a word. Yeah, it, <laughs> it works for us. Should be. I feel like yeah, I would say I feel like I just I don't know. I took that kind of on a, tan- a tangent, but. Um, no, yeah. I think it's an awesome answer, and I you know if it was. The, the theme that I took from that answer is that as the coach, as the gym, you don't, you don't force people into your goals. You are kind of a sponge to what people want to do. And you have to be receptive to the fact that somebody in your class who you're coaching, like may not have any desire to do what you specifically like to do, or you want to do and being able to relay to them that that's, that's perfectly okay. Yeah, like totally we, okay. we can be after different things here. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And it's like you you said you were having that interaction with the member who didn't want to do a muscle up and you're a gymnastics coach telling people like, yeah, that's rad. I don't really care. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, like if you get one, I, I will be your number one fan in helping you and I will coach you through one and I'll help you get one. Um, but I'm also okay with you never wanting to be able to do a muscle up. If that is not one of your goals, that's okay. Um, I want to kind of ask you real quick about your, your coaching and how you guys, you have three different programs. Um, how do you guys go about just continuing education? It is obviously you're going to say yes, the knowledge is important as a coach, but how much importance do you place on, uh, being a place that that's going to be on top of their game knowledge wise? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's funny that you, that you asked that question because that's kind of where we are right now. Um, in our business with, you know, having, um, a group of coaches that have been doing this for five or six years and then now bringing on, uh, newer, younger coaches have been doing this for, you know, less than a year or right at a year. Um, but, uh, as far as coaching and, um, continuing education, um, we, it's, that's a very high priority for the gym. So, um, you have to constantly be investing in your self, investing in yourself as far as like, you need to be going out and, and, and getting as much information as you can from as many sources as you can. Um, because there is one thing with coaching, there's, there's not one single way to coach an athlete. And so um, you need to be able to have a bunch of tools in your tool belt to help uh, athlete A, athlete B, athlete C. And if you only have one way of coaching or one way of programming, um, then that's going to limit you, but it's also going to limit the success of your class and then overall the success of your gym. 
So I think one being open-minded to all of the different types of, of training out there, um, you know, keeping up with trends, whether they're positive or negative. Um, when you're in the fitness industry, there's trends always, and you kind of have to stay on top of what's going on. Um, I think another part too is the longer, you know, that CrossFit has been around and it's a growing sport and it's going to continue to grow. Um, you're also going to get athletes who've been doing this, you know, maybe since close to the beginning, um, specifically, you know, I'll use my sport program as an example. I have athletes that have been CrossFitting in there for four, five, six years. Some of them probably even longer than I've been CrossFitting or around the same time. And so you have to constantly, one, being, being a, you have to be able to challenge them, but two, um, you have to be able to keep them healthy. And so um, I think that is kind of the other side of, of CrossFit is not just like, not just continuing education with um, different certifications um, as far as like, you know, the physical aspect of, you know, the kettlebell gymnastics, um, going off doing, you know, the Jim Jones, the OPEX and all that. Those are all great. And I think that the more, the more experience you have in those and being able to kind of pick and choose what works and what doesn't work, um, will make you a better coach, but also on the other side of like, how can I program, um, and coach to keep my athletes healthy? Because in the end, if you have an athlete that's been doing this for four or five or six years and their body starts to break down, then they're eventually going to go find something else or they're going to have to quit. Mm -hmm. And the longevity of your athletes is going to be the longevity of your gym. Yep. Right. And yep. so that's, that's, that's kind of where I am. Is like, if I want to continue to have a gym in 10 years, I have to make sure that my people are healthy. And then with that is, you know, is my programming smart and are my people moving well? And I think that's, that's where the continuing education, uh, for our gym comes into play. I think that's an excellent answer. Yeah. Um, couldn't have said it better. And uh, we love talking to gym owners who are involved in, you know, certain disciplines, if you will, but who are also very aware that they need to be just expanding and in, in being open to things that maybe they don't necessarily like, but are, are going to help them become a better coach and relate to somebody who might like that. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that that's really cool. So if you could, you guys, you said you opened when? Um, 20, uh, October, 2014. 2014. We're just, yeah, we're just over two years. So it sounds like you guys are doing very well. Is there anything that you would have done differently going back um, to that launch in that open uh, that you maybe learned something right away that you shouldn't have done? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of things. So the biggest thing for us was just – and still is everything right now is still a learning experience. Like Michael and I have zero experience in owning a business mm -hmm. uh, or a gym or anything for that. So this whole entire process, I feel like has been kind of trial and error. And we found some things that have worked really, really well. 
And we also found some things where we're like, okay, maybe not so much. Um, But overall, like, I think the process of getting us from when we started to where we are now, um, there's some things I would change, but I feel like for the most part, um, it kind of happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, again, it was a learning experience. So so now moving forward, it's like we know we got to see what worked and what, what hasn't worked. And I know we're going to continue on that path where probably for the next couple of years, we're still going to be like, okay, well, let's probably not do that one again. Yeah. Is there anything specifically that stands out that you can share with us? Um. So I'll give you an example for us. When we okay. first opened, we've been open six years now, and it makes you feel any better. We're still still, we're still trial and error. <laughs> um, but you obviously learn a little more each year. When we first opened, we did 45-minute class slots, which like at the time was a no-brainer because we're like, yeah, we can get more classes in. And looking back on that, I'm like, how could we even stay open offering 45-minute class slots? The whole thing was just so, so incredibly rushed, and it reduced the amount of interactions for people in the gym. So that, that was a big thing for us is just the timing of the class. But is, is there anything that was from an operation level that, you know, you guys quickly change or that you learned from? Oh man. <laughs> I, so yeah. And, and it's kind of something we're going through. It's kind of something that we don't integrate. So the biggest thing I think with coaching, so, um, is putting, making sure that people are in the right position. So not even like from an athlete perspective, but from a coaching perspective, um, when you are managing coaches, you have to put people in a position that's going to make them successful. So if you have a coach that is not doing something that they're passionate or that they love, letting them know that, Hey, it's, it's okay to step out. It's okay to leave, you know, Ingrid, you know, she, she saw something bigger for herself that wasn't part of the gym and it was outside of the gym. And we were, you know, we were a hundred percent supportive of her going and, and following those dreams and doing that. And, And therefore like having her not be there with that stress, makes things better. Yeah. Same thing. Have uh, a coach who loves coaching, loves her athletes, passionate about coaching, but really started to find um, find a focus in nutrition. And so when she started to really build on that, we we're like, hey Karen, like do you wanna do you want to do nutrition full time? Like you seem really happy and really passionate about that. And at first she was like, yeah, but I don't want to leave my athletes, which, you know, that's always the hardest thing because she, she loves, she's a great coach. She loves coaching, but her real love was in the nutrition part. And so we're like, go do like do that. So she's still, she's in our gym. She's, she's doing all the nutrition within our gym, um, and kind of venturing out, um, with like meal prepping and all this stuff. And so I think it's really important, um, to just, know what your coaches, you know, if anybody is feeling like, Hey, this is, this is not for me. I don't want to do these classes. I don't want to this, you know, even me to say like, man, I can't do like I'm five thirty AM sucks for me. And I, <laughs> I'm a shitty coach at five thirty. you know, 
at some point you have to be like, all right, well, let's pull you out of the 530 class, yeah. find somebody who fits, and we're going to put you where you're going to be most successful. Yep. And I think that's, I think that's probably one of the biggest things. And I think that's going to, that's going to be an ongoing process because as coaches start to develop themselves, then they're going to find kind of what fits and what works for them. And so you just don't want to ever lock anybody or disregard somebody's uh, focus. Um, and then, cause that's going to end up, they're going to, that's, that's going to show in their coaching. And then therefore the athletes are going to feel it. And it's just a, a lose lose. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn now. We're going to hit our fun questions, the final four. You ready for them? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Austin, the famous saying of keep Austin weird. What is the weirdest thing that you have ever done in Austin? Um, I wouldn't say it's the weirdest thing. I mean, it's it's part, it's it's an Austin thing and... I've participated in it. Um, it's called. Hey, is there? Is this like a PG thirteen? No, go for it. Okay. <laughs> We're all adults. Uh, it's called. Uh, it's called Titty Bingo. <laughs> it's at this place called the Highball, and these two comedians kind of run it, and it's very like, kind of sexual, pornographic based. They call it. It's called. It's porn without the sex. Bingo without the grandmas, you do the math. <laughs> so you um, you get a bingo card, and it's usually based around some kind of theme. And then what they do is they take um, they take the five winners. So the first five people they get a bingo. They come up on stage, and they have to do some really embarrassing. Uh, sometimes could be semi-sexual, like taking a you know a body shot off of somebody or whatever. Um, and then they have to compete to be the the single winner, um, <laughs> and so it's just it's very it's a very sexual based uh, bingo, but it's a lot of fun. Um, it's usually always packed house, um, and where the the titty part comes in <laughs> is the two the two hosts um, kind of sit on the stage, and uh, again something that's very Austin is charity. So if you for anybody that goes and flashes the the two hosts, they donate X amount of dollars for each person That's to charity. Brilliant. So like it'll be like a dollar and then they'll have like, you know, for the next ten minutes, anybody that comes in and shows us their boobs, uh, will donate twenty dollars per person to whatever the charity is for that for that day. So that that part's kinda cool and and so, yeah, that's probably one of the the weirdest Austin-y things that, that happens, but it's a lot of fun. So if you come back, it's on a Tuesday night. Yeah, uh, it's definitely yeah. worth the experience. Writing down notes yeah. now. <laughs> Man, that was an amazing answer. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, like, going to Austin City Limits and, like, going the, giving us a lame answer, but you gave us titty bingo. So <laughs> that was well, awesome. Look, on their website, Highball, they'll go into more detail, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's fun. If you could buy a drink for anyone in history, past or present, who would it be and what would you buy them? Um, probably uh, Chelsea Handler. Good choice. A comedian, actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I know that her drink of choice is vodka, so I would probably, I'd probably buy her a vodka shot and I would probably have to go with tequila. Nice. Very nice. 
What's one thing that drives you crazy as a gym owner? Uh, um, yeah, this one is, I feel like there's a lot, there's like not one specific moment that I can pinpoint and I'm sure that Jonathan or I would, okay, I would probably have to say this, um, the, the music. So, um, specifically when I guess, yeah, that's probably what I bitch about the most is the music. Um, but in return, a lot of people will bitch about my music. So (laughs) it's, you know, so what's your go-to? Yeah. What's your music? I I get tired of the rap, play a lot of rap, a lot of hip hop. What kind Um, of rap? There's been a lot of country going on at the gym and I hate country music. (laughs) So that has been, so I had to, I had to be polite yesterday and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go with the flow because when I decide that I want to listen to my station, none of you assholes can complain. <laughs> <laughs> because I listened to country music for about six hours straight yesterday and it was absolutely terrible. Uh, but my go-tos probably, um, uh, anything kind of like EDM. Yeah. Um, or, this is where I go. Like anything kind of um, like I don't want to say emo, but like pop punk stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I love that stuff, and that's what I get shit for listening to. They're like, "Oh, great, who's depressed today?" Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get the same feedback. It's funny. Country is like the one genre that we just straight up do not allow in the gym. Yeah, like, we just don't play country on the playlists. None. Yeah. It's not exercise music. It's not, but I, I listened to it for six hours yesterday. Um, there will be people I've... that argue that to the death, but I just can't do it. Yeah, that's rough. What's an embarrassing story that happened to you recently or from your childhood? This is another one where I feel like there's probably a lot of situations <laughs> that I can't think of one or that maybe there's so many all the time that I just can't that I'm just kind of used so to it by now. Um, I would say, the, all right, I'll go, I'll go off of one from when I was kind of a kid. So it was my birthday. I think I was probably like maybe 11 or 12. And uh, we were waiting um, in the lobby and my guitar teacher showed up and made a joke about like having a drink or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I think I'll have a, I think I'll have a Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, like, just completely just shows how naive and clueless I was. And I think I was thinking of vodka. <laughs> but instead I said Viagra, thinking, you know, and I was just like, everybody's laughing. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. That's Viagra. And they're like, Jessica, that's not it's not what you think it is. And I was like, oh. So, I mean, I guess that would probably be one. I also, too, uh, have just realized within the same month I've left my credit card at the same restaurant, like, just forgot to, yeah, I've never done that before, so I had to call them today, and I'm like, I think I left my credit card there last night, they're like, yeah. So, I wouldn't say that's really embarrassing, but it's, uh, I don't know how that can happen twice. Well, I found my cell phone in the refrigerator last year, so if that makes you feel any better. You did what? I said, I found my cell phone in the refrigerator last year, if that makes you feel any better. 
Oh, yeah, I've never done that one. <laughs> I've also found his wallet in my cabinet before. <laughs> uh, Alzheimer's or something. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, as we wrap it up, Jessica, what, what would be your final bit of parting advice if you could impart one thing to gym owners or coaches listening? What would it be? Um, listen to your people. Um, so listen to your athletes. Um, connect with them. Um, allow the allow a space for them to be able to be comfortable um, approaching you with feedback. And I think that's a very hard um, as a coach or a gym owner. That's that's something that could be very hard is is having somebody come back at you with feedback. Um, but I think that's probably the most important. So one of the things that I do every year with my athletes uh, is I do athlete one-on-ones where I give them the opportunity to sit one-on-one with me. We talk about, you know, kind of the goals of whatever the programming is at that time. And then I ask them about their goals. And then I ask them for feedback. And I'm like, I want positive and I want negative. I want it all. Um, And it can be personal. It can be about the gym. But I think that's the biggest thing is just like being able to, to listen and connect with your athletes and having a relationship with them that makes them feel comfortable to be able to come to you with absolutely anything. Um, and I would say that's, that's probably the most important thing to, to being a, not just a gym owner, but just a coach. Very cool. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we let you go here? I don't think so. I think we kind of hit it all. Yeah, that was awesome. I have one more question, Jessica. You said you studied communications in college and uh, you were planning on going the sales route. Did you ever hold a sales job? I did. I was an assistant at Univision Radio and I actually uh, was a sales person at a 24-hour fitness which I don't think you can really count that as a sales job. Yeah, we won't count that. The other job, how long did it last? Um, I was there six months, but it six was part months. of a, it was like a paid internship kind of thing. Okay. And I realized, like, this is really cool and all, but one, uh, I had a really hard time sitting still at a desk. Yep. And, um... I would get in trouble a lot because I was never found at my desk. <laughs> I was usually walking around, socializing, doing other things other than being at my desk. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love coaching so much. And I love, you know, that I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be, but um, I can't be confined. I mean, I couldn't even study in, in college, you know, for more than like 15 minute increments. Um, which is probably why I like CrossFit because everything is, you know, it's very short, fast, quick, and then you move on to the next thing. So. Yep. Love it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being on. It was great. Um, I, you gave us so much great insight. There's so much, so many good takeaways here for coaches and for gym owners out there. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. Yeah. I found okay. myself, I found myself head nodding a lot yeah, to everything that she was heads. saying. So, um, thanks a lot, Jessica. We appreciate it. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening, and uh, make sure you go online. Make sure you guys share this episode. Um, If you haven't taken the time to give us a rating, please do that on iTunes, The Business of Lifting Weights, Um, and make sure that you kind of promote everything that Jessica said today if it's something that you found valuable and you got some good takeaways from it. Bye, guys. (laughs) 